Fire, Billy, Kim, thank you guys for leading us in, in worship this morning. As you were sitting there singing that song, I was, I was racking my brain to remember what psalm that was from. And Kim, I don't know if you remember what psalm that is from, but Psalm 89, verse 1 says this, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. Amen to that, church. Uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I pray that you have had a great, great week. I do have a few things that I want to give to you real quickly uh, before we jump into the word of the Lord uh, this morning. First of all, no school has started back uh, in Hardin County, uh, E-Town area, LaRue County. Uh, some were back in person, some were back virtually, and uh, just know uh, schools, teachers, administrators, children, youth, whatever age you may be, uh, we are praying for all of you all. Uh, we know that your hands are full. We know this is not uh, the normal way that we go back to school. Uh, we know there's been some frustrations with computers and uh, assignments and all of these things, uh, but we, we are praying for you. And I want you to know that, teachers, administrators, staff, children, all ages, from whatever county you may be in from, LaRue, Hardin County, E-Town area, whatever it is, uh, we are praying, praying, praying uh, for you. Secondly, now I know over the last couple of months we've not been doing our handshaking because uh, we are, have been in fear of, of catching a disease. Uh, and so we have not been doing probably a real great job of uh, welcoming people, per se. And so I want you to do me a great favor. And I'm not asking you to shake hands. I'm not asking you to hug or anything of that nature. Don't want to expose anybody to anything that's harmful. But if you look around in your church today and you see somebody that you don't know, put your mask on when we leave. Go up and introduce yourself. Uh, I don't think that's, that's going to hurt anybody. Amen? Uh, matter of fact, I think it would help them make them feel at home. And I would want the same thing done to me if I was visiting a church family, wouldn't you? And so have your mask on. They may not be able to understand the word you're saying. Uh, but your eyes and your body language hopefully will be able to let them know that they uh, are very, very welcome here. And then lastly, real quick, deacon ordination tonight. And so if you're on the deacon ordination council, uh, we will start at 5, be here probably around 4.30, those that are going to come to be on that council. I've got some things that I need to talk to you about as, as well. And then at 6 will be our deacon ordination service. And this is a service. Uh, this is not just a, a, an ordination, uh, but this is a service. Uh, we're having a service to praise God that we're ordaining a deacon. And so this is a worship service as well. And so being a deacon, that's a high calling on someone's life. And it's not an easy road to travel, amen? And so we want to make sure that we celebrate with Dwayne tonight and his family uh, as he comes and gets ordained. And I think he's lost 10 pounds this week sweating. And uh, just three? Well, I don't know. All that gravy you've been eating, I don't know if you've lost any weight, brother. Uh, and so we're going to have to try out Miss Vicky's gravy coming real, real soon. And so, anyway, church, pray that you have your Bible with you this morning as we have been cruising through uh, the book of Acts. And so we're Acts 17, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 34. I thought this was a great opportunity uh, to present uh, this sermon. The title of the sermon is, I Proclaim God to Be, with a question mark. I Proclaim God to Be, with a question mark. You know, in the 21st century, we see people proclaiming to worship many different things. We see people worshiping witchcraft, we see people worshiping aliens. Oh, it's true. We see people proclaiming to worship nature. We see people proclaiming to worship Satan. 
and his dark army. We see people worshiping animals. We see people worshiping money. We see people worshiping popularity. We see people proclaiming to worship multiple gods. And we see people proclaiming that God doesn't even exist in the form of atheism and those who neither believe nor disbelieve in a God in the form of agnosticism. And we also see people proclaiming and worshiping religions or gods that fit their own cultural values, their individual convictions and personal beliefs. But as Christians, what do we proclaim? Don't you think we should know? As someone that has been saved, as someone that has been washed, as someone that has been baptized into the church of Jesus Christ, do you think that it is vitally important for us to know what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the Father? And according to the Scripture, the Apostle Paul was on a mission to proclaim the gospel, to share Jesus with those who would listen and to explain the truth about God. And he's, he, he's done that from the beginning of his missionary journey. He's done that from his salvation experience. Now, all the way through to where we are going, he would explain the truths about Jesus and his hope for mankind. And so the scripture that we're going to read this morning, it reflects on what Paul proclaimed even when he faced thousands of fictitious gods and man-made philosophies. I want you to look at Acts 17, 16 through 34. Church, this isn't a, a feel-good sermon. This is a sermon about knowledge from the Holy Spirit. This is a sermon that is going to challenge you that do you know what you believe? Is it important to know what you believe? Instead of just walking through the church doors on Sunday morning, if you sit down with someone today over lunch, could you explain your God to them? Could you explain your Savior, Jesus Christ, to them? Look at Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. It's going to take a minute to get through this, but we'll get through it together. It says, once we were going to the place of prayer, and we were met uh, there by a slave girl, and these men of the Most High who were telling the ways to save. No, I'm in the wrong scripture. We're in 17. And see, that even gets me going. And everybody's thinking, Brother Donnie, what have you been on this morning? Well, I'm going to tell you, whatever it was, whatever it was Austin brought it in. And so I'm blaming him. But Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. We're going to get there, I promise you. So while Paul was waiting for them, now this makes a whole lot more sense. If you can't laugh at yourself, you might as well quit. Amen? And so while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the, see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace, day by day with those that happened to be there. A group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. 
You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. And then verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And then verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Eurocopus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, but I'm going to proclaim to you. That is the key. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole, the whole earth. And he determined that the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so man would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though it's not far from each of us. For in him we live and, and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed, and among them was Dionymus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity to come in and sing of your praises. Lord, thank you for that, God. Today is a day that you have made, and we're to rejoice in that, Lord. And so, Father, as we've come here this morning, Lord, this is the day that I, I hope and pray that we have looked forward to all week to come in with our brothers and our sisters in the name of Christ Jesus. Lord, to come in and to worship and to praise your name. Lord, to come in and, and to give. Father, to come in and, and be of one heart and one accord and one mind and to sing and to hear the gospel and to see life-changing decisions, Lord, be made. And so, Father, I pray right now the Holy Spirit is already at work, Lord. You're already knocking on hearts, Father. You're already, Lord, getting people's minds prepared to what they're going to receive. And so, God, work on us today, Father. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Strengthen us, Lord, where we are weak. And, Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, I pray today is that day, God. Lord, let us rejoice with each other. And, Father, I pray as we go through your word, Father, Lord, we don't just hear it, God, but we receive it, Lord. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Now, folks, there's a lot of background to what's going on in, in this scripture. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, the apostle Paul had made this lonely trip down to Athens, and Austin had talked about this a little bit in the children's sermon. This is the intellectual center of the world at this time. Scholars from all over the world made Athens their home because of their arts, because of their sculptures, and of course, because of their polytheism. 
The city of Athens at this time, we believe, only had about a population of about 10,000 people, but we're told there could have been as many as 30,000 statues of gods that resided there. This city was enamored with religion, it was enamored with philosophy, and if one God did not work for you, then maybe you could find another God that stirred your interest and your personal agenda. Sound familiar? They were open-minded to new findings. I don't have a problem with being open-minded. They were open-minded to new philosophies. They were open-minded to unknown religions. And it really doesn't sound too much different, really, from the modern world that we live in today. So here's Paul, and he's walking down the streets of Athens by himself, and he encounters one God after another God after another goddess, after another goddess, and his heart becomes deeply what? His heart becomes troubled. It becomes deeply distressed, according to verse 16, or the KJV reads that his spirit was stirred in him. Why? Because he sees this city full of their idols and full of false worship, and it should stir all of our hearts. Amen? And so right there in the intellectual capital of the world in the first century A.D., there was a huge spiritual need right there before his very eyes, just like today in the year of 2020. And Paul took advantage of his opportunity because Paul's heart was on fire to speak the truth, and he knew, he knew that he was going to draw a crowd, and the Bible says that he found three groups of hearers that day. There were the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. There were the Epicureans. And there were the Stoic philosophers. Now, the latter two groups represented competing philosophies of the day. The Epicureans believed that everything happened by chance, and death is the end, period. There is no afterlife. They believed that there were gods, but those gods were so far off to man in their troubles, in their sins, in their sorrows. So they believed that there were gods, but they believed that those gods wanted nothing to do with who? With mankind. Know anyone like this? They kind of knew something bigger existed, but they were really more focused on their own gods and their own philosophies. And then there were the Stoic philosophers. They were the pantheists, believing that everything was God, and what happened to them was their destiny. They lived with apathy, no passion. There was no excitement, and they had detachment. Know anyone like this? This is how they lived their life. There were two philosophies. They were very popular among the beliefs of Athens. Both were highly intellectual, but both lacked any type of validation. And in verse 19, they take Paul to the Areopagus, this group of so-called power philosophers. And here's Paul the Christian. He's a monotheist. It means he believes in one God, and he's getting ready to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's surrounded by thousands of statues and altars and gold and silver and bronze. And the false gods were so many, and they looked down these, these different people that believed in these different gods and these deities. They were all gazing down upon Paul. 
Can you imagine how Paul must have felt that day? He's alone. There's no disciples. There's no Christian advocates, just him and everyone else that believed in multiple gods. But inspired, Paul, here he was, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he stood up according to verses 22 and 23, acknowledging their religious surroundings, and he said seven powerful words. He said, I am going to proclaim to you. He was not rude. He, was, he, he wasn't uh, being disrespectful. He, he, I don't think he was shouting. I don't think he was spitting. I don't think he was red-faced. But he looked at his surroundings. His heart was troubled. His heart was sitting there crying out for these people because he knew they did not have a relationship with who? The real God. And the real Son. And he says, I am going to proclaim to you. And what Paul was getting ready to proclaim, he was going to proclaim the truth that these people, as well as the people today, desperately, desperately need to hear. And this is where your sermon outline comes in, church. Are you ready? Number one, our God is the creator of what? Of all. Amen? Our God is the creator of all. We see this in verses 24 and 25. And so Paul started in the beginning. And isn't that a great place to go, church? He goes back into the beginning and he explains several fundamental truths. He said, God made the what? God made the world. He said, God made everything in it. He said, God is the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of earth. He's not contained in temples built by human hands. He needs for nothing. And He gives all men life and breath and everything else. He takes them back to the very beginning. And this went in the face of the two popular Epicureans and the, and the Stoics. And the Epicureans believed that gods had nothing to do with the world. And the Stoics believed that God was in any, everything, the, the, the rocks and the rivers and everything that you could think of. Now listen, they were on the right track because God did create those things. But those things are not what? Those things are not God. And as a giver of life, God is actively here with His creation. God is with us every second of every moment of every day of our life. God is here. But He's not contained in creation. Someone once asked me this question, and this was many years ago. I'll put it in your bulletin outline. I'm not sure what your response may be, but it would be interesting to know where the Christian faith stands on this today. Someone once asked, can I be a Christian and not believe that God created the world? Can I be a Christian and believe that God did not create the world? Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God what? God created. If you read the first book of John chapter 1, you'll go back in history again. The Word was with God and the Word became flesh and the Word dwelt among us. 
So why would you say, well, I think I am a Christian. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He lived and He died and He rose again so I could have life and repentance and restoration. But I don't believe what Genesis says. I don't believe what the first chapter of John says. But I believe that I am a Christian. Well, somewhere within your walk here, somewhere within the, the genesis of your, your, your deciding that you are in a, a Christian, somewhere we've lost you. Well, this is what the schools say. This is what the colleges say. This is what the universities say. Well, I'm going to tell you what God says. I'm going to tell you what this Bible says, and the Bible says the truth, that in the beginning God created it all. Amen? That is the truth. It is the absolute truth. And our children and our youth and our young adults are having their minds filled with all kind of false philosophies, ideologies, methodologies of what and who created this world. Let me tell you right now, you were not created by chance. You were not created when two planets collided together. You did not climb up out of a pond and all of a sudden evolve into a man or into a woman. No, God said in the beginning, I made it, I made it all, and I made it well, and I made it good. That's what God did. And this has not changed, amen? These truths have not changed. Our God is creator of all. Plus, God didn't just create us and leave us alone. But number two, our God seeks out a what? A personal relationship with who? With you. Our God seeks out a personal relationship with every child, with every teenager, with every youth, with every adult, whatever age you are, God wants a personal relationship with who? With you. In verse 26, Paul instructs this group of individuals that they're, that they're living in Athens. That they're, they're not there by chance, but God has structured their lives in order for man to seek God, the Bible says, to reach out to God and to find God. So their life, their environment, the opportunity to hear the gospel, it was not by chance, but it was by God himself. By God. And again, they believed their gods were far off. They believed that their gods had nothing or little to do with mankind. But all of a sudden, here's Paul, and Paul is preaching a different gospel that says the Creator did not leave the created to dangle by a stream, but He actually wants to be involved in our day-to-day -day what? Lives. Every day that you get out of bed, Lord, thank you for giving me another day. And Lord, as I go through this day, as I walk through this day, as I run through this day, as I work and as I, as, I, as, as I go about my business, as I go about my job, Father, I know that you are with me 24 what? Seven. Lord, you're with me. I mean, the Bible tells us he knows every hair on your what? On your head. He knows that when you cry out, He knows when you're hurting, He knows when you're joyful, He knows every single thing there is to know about you. Why? Because He wants a personal relationship with each and every what? With each and every one of you. 
God's Word tells us He knows our names. The Bible says He knows our needs. He hears our prayers. He has a personal involvement in our lives. And God's Word says this, that He wants every single person to be saved. He wants every single person to come to a knowledge of the truth. First Timothy. You know, I love it when people come and they say, Well, Donnie, you have no idea what in the world I have done. And you're right. I may not, but God does. And if you think that you've got to get cleaned up before you can come to God, if you think you've got to get dressed up before you come to God, if you think that you've got to have it all together before you come to Jesus, you're thinking the absolute, wrong, the, the absolute wrong way because when you come to Jesus, that's when He cleans you up. Amen? That's when He gives you a new name. That's when He forgives you and, and, and puts in you the Holy Spirit of God that directs your life. And gives you a church family that's going to love you and watch over you and strengthen you and encourage you. And folks, listen to me. I don't, I don't know how people walk through life without a church family. I just don't know how people do it. This life is hard. This life has struggles. And I don't know what I would do without my church family. Are we full of perfect people? No. But we serve a perfect God, amen? We serve a perfect God. God told Joshua, he said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Jesus said to the disciples, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so doesn't that sound like a creator who is interested in its creation? Matter of fact, in verse 28, Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So showing his educational prowess, Paul quotes their own poets to maintain their interest. See, Paul wasn't finished proclaiming. Matter of fact, Paul is moving toward the climax of the address because Paul knew that even though God created all and maintains his closeness with mankind, this is number three, our God calls for repentance of all people. Our God calls for repentance of all people. In a nutshell, Paul told the men of Athens that day that their days of sinful idolatry and ignorance were what? It's over now. It's over. And this is probably where the rubber met the road that day in Athens. Can you imagine telling the men of Athens who were prominent polytheists or worshipers of many gods to repent and turn from their own culture? Worshiping multiple gods and philosophies, that was their thing. It's what they knew. It was their custom. It was their way of life. And I'm reminded of the first command of the Ten Commandments. It goes like this in Exodus 20. It says this, You shall have no other, what? Gods before me. Why? Because any other God is a fictitious God. Amen? I am the only God. I'm also reminded of what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through whom? Except through me. The men of Athens have been challenged by Paul to repent of their sin, and the same reigns true today, right now. In the 21st century, people may not have all the gods and goddesses of Greece around their homes worshiping them on a daily basis, but there's still plenty of gold. There's still plenty of silver. 
and man-made gods that people continue to worship today as they avoid the one true God in the process. But as Paul said almost 2,000 years ago, we still preach today the first step on becoming a Christian is placing our faith in Jesus and admitting our own sinfulness, which requires two turns. It's a turning away from sinfulness of the world, and it's a turning to God's holiness that he gives us a free gift through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And Paul knew that faith and forgiveness of sin was the first part of becoming a Christian, but Paul also knew this. Number four, our God will be the what? Final judge of the world, and the judge's name is whom? It's Jesus. And so once again, Paul shows his brilliance, basically revealing their ignorance, because 500 years earlier, the Greek poet Aeschylus had written, when the dust has soaked up man's blood, once he is dead, there is no resurrection. No resurrection. You know, the reason why we have forgiveness of sin is the same yesterday today and forever, and that lies in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ and that listen to me. God keeps an account of those who have a relationship with the Son and those who have denied Him. In Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of what? in the lake of fire. God knows. God knows. Brother Donnie, are you telling me that God is going to send people to hell? No, that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is this. While you're living and while you're breathing, you have the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And so if anyone sends you to hell, it ain't going to be God. It's yourself. And people need to hear the truth. And it may be hard. It may not be politically correct. But that is the truth. God knows. See, Paul was preaching the resurrection of Jesus not just to change their present life, but Paul was preaching to them because he wanted to change their eternity. Amen. He wanted to change their eternity. And I want you to notice in verses 32 through 34, we see that Paul's sermon had three results, and they're the same exact three results that we get today when we proclaim the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. And I want you to look at these. Are you ready? Some what? Some sneered. What's that mean? It means they made a joke out of it. It means they, they laughed. Yeah, I'm here. I, I, I've heard the gospel. I've heard about Jesus and how he rose from the dead and how I need forgiveness of my sin. But, oh, that's just, all, that, that's just fun and that's just games. And it's, it's all mythical and it doesn't mean anything for me. And so they just sneer at it. They think it's funny. You know, the first church that I was pastoring, I had a young man that came to me. And he wanted to get saved. And he was coming to church. He rode his bike to church every Sunday morning. And he came to church and he started to get involved. He came to youth and then he went back to school. And they started sneering at him. They started making fun of him. And I'm not even going to tell you who it is. I'm not going to tell you what school it is, but it's local. 
And they started making fun of him because he was going to church. And he started making fun of him because he was talking about Jesus. And they started making fun of him because he was going to youth group and he was getting involved. And this boy, now a man, I, I, he, he never made a place of, of faith. Admitting Jesus as Savior, I hope and pray that he has done that since this time. Don't let anyone ever make fun of you because you want to place your faith in Jesus. Amen. Don't let anyone ever take that joy from your life because you want to become a Christian. But some sneered. And then number two, some put off making a decision. Some put off making a decision. They wanted to hear Paul again at a later date. Now here's the good news. At least this group was thoughtful. Paul had them thinking and they felt as though the time worth them wasn't quite the issue. But listen to me. Here's the fallacy in that belief. We never know what tomorrow is going to what? Is going to bring. Today could be your last day. No, I don't believe in scaring people into heaven. I don't believe in fear-mongering. I don't believe in doing that, pulling people up by their hair, or by their neck, or by their arm. I don't believe that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Amen? But I will tell you this, that putting off a decision today could haunt you for the rest of your life. could haunt you for eternity. Well, Brother Donnie, I don't need to make a decision. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I know I'm going to come up there one day. I know that I'm going to get saved. I know that I'm going to do all these things. It's sad. Teenagers taking their life. Getting texts from people. Brother Donnie, please pray for this 13-year-old girl. Please pray for this 15-year-old boy who is thinking about suicide. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not. But I will tell you this. If, if God's knocking on your door, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, why would you want to put it off? Well, I got to check with my family. I got to check with somebody. I got to check. I got I to make sure. I'm going to tell you right now, this is the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. This is the biggest decision that you will ever make in your life. It's not who you're going to date. It's not who you're going to marry. It's not how much money you're going to put in your 401k. It's not about who you cheer for on basketball or football on Sunday or Monday nights. It's not about your careers. It's not about your hobbies. It's not about anything else. This is the biggest decision that you'll ever make in your life. They put it off to another time. And then number three, some actually believed. A few men, and Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Paul led some of those folks to Jesus Christ that day. Amen? Place your faith in Jesus and you'll be saved. Ask Jesus for forgiveness and He's going to forgive you of your sins. Do you believe? Yes, I believe. Yes, I admit, yes, I confess, Jesus is my Lord. And some may view Paul's sermon that day to be one of failure, according to the few that accepted Jesus that day in Athens. But church, hear me. We need to remember that Paul did his job. 
Paul proclaimed, and it wasn't Paul's failure in his deliverance of the gospel, and it wasn't the failure of the gospel to save, but it was the vast majority who failed to receive it. And the same issue is going on today. So let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he someone that you laugh at? Is he someone that you keep putting off? You, 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 you know you're lost, but you just don't want to make a decision? Or have you placed your trust in Jesus and you're proclaiming him to be your Savior? You're proclaiming him to be your sustainer of your life and anyone else that would put their faith in him? And so the personal question is, we get ready to close and Billy gets ready to come up and we have our invitation is this. When asked this question, who do you claim God to be? What will you say? What will you say? Because the Bible tells us that every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And so God has given you this great thing called life. Amen. And he has given you this great thing called freedom of choice. Amen. And so it's your choice. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you proclaiming him to your family and to the world? Or is it just a joke? Is it just someone that you just keep putting off because you think, well, there's always what? There's always tomorrow. There's always the next day. Wouldn't it be great to come today and make a commitment? Wouldn't it be great today to come and make a life-changing decision for you and your family? Or maybe there's some of you today that you've been looking for a church home. We would love to get to know you. We would love to get a chance to disciple you. We would love to get a chance to do life with you. This is a great family of God. I believe that wholeheartedly. And so today can be a day of a decision. And so as we stand, as Billy comes and we sing, church, who are you proclaiming him to be? Let's stand.